Yes, November 16, 2022. Welcome to the new reality edition of Bite Marks Cafe right here on Hawaii Public Radio, where we serve you the first bite of today's science, technology, and innovation. I'm Bert Lum. And first up, we'll have Cindy Knappman. She's with the Hawaii Sea Grant College. And of course, uh, she's going to join me and talk about the resiliency and a program called Science by the Sea. And of course, right after that, we'll be joined by Steph Spears. She's with Solstice Power Technologies, and she's here to give us an update on her company and, of course, their recent acquisition by MyPower. And, of course, first up, I want to welcome Cindy Knappman back to the show. She's the communication lead for the Hawaii Sea Grant Program at the University of Hawaii. Welcome to Bite Marks Cafe, Cindy. Aloha. Thank you so much for having me on again. I really appreciate it. <laughs> well, you know... You're top of my my <laughs> my uh, uh, Rolodex. I'm going to say Rolodex because you know probably most of the people listening to the show might not even know what Rolodex is. But <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, mahalo. Yeah, and you know, you guys at Sea Grant, uh, you're doing a lot of uh, great stuff, and I don't Thank often you. get a chance to, to uh, talk story with you, but yeah. you know, this past uh, this past month of November, there's like mm-hmm. a slew of things going on, and I thought, boy, I got to get Cindy back on and give us a you know give us the latest update. So tell us, what is, what is this resiliency? And it's resilient with a S-E-A at the end of it. So That's exactly right. Yeah. Well, um, thank you again. And as you recall from last time I was on the show, this is our, um, we're celebrating our 50th anniversary this year. So all throughout the month of November, we're having a celebration called um, Resiliency. And as you mentioned, um, the S-E-A stands for Science, Education, and Art, and it's actually our very first SciArt Gallery that they're hosting us at the Arts at, the Arts at Mark's Garage in Chinatown, um, and we have five events happening all throughout the month. So three of them have passed, and then the two upcoming are, um, as you mentioned, the um, Science by the Sea Seminar Series, which is where our graduate fellows and our um, Pacific Islands Climate Adaptation Science Center graduate scholars share information and stories about their research. And all this is taking place while the SciArt Gallery resiliency is up at Arts at Mark's Garage. So all, on, all this whole series is taking place at uh, Arts at Mark's Garage? Yes, that's right. They're both taking place. So um, we kicked off the Resiliency uh, Science, Education, and Art Gallery on November 4th with mm-hmm. a really wonderful opening night. Um, and then it'll be held all throughout the month of November from November 4th to the 25th. And then on the 25th, we're having a closing night where we'll also have a, um, a celebration and we'll be showing um, one of our special Voice of the Sea episodes that was um, specifically uh, made for um, this closing. It's titled Limu Love. And, and Voice of the Sea, uh, yeah. that's, a, that's a program that runs on TV, right? Yes, that's right. That's our, um, te- it's our half-an-hour television show that runs um, every Saturday and Sunday and then all throughout the Pacific. And um, so, yes, we're showing um, the debut episode on our closing night on the 25th. And, and uh, what's it, uh, what does it talk about in terms of Limu? Yeah, so they actually were really lucky to be able to um, travel to Maui to the Hana Limu Festival. Mm -hmm. And um, so they talked all to, um, you know, the Limu coordinators from all across the state about how important um, Limu is to us and to our past and to our future. 
Oh, that's great. That's great. In fact, yeah. you know, I, I, I'm, I'm interested in limu, and there's a whole variety of limu that you could, you know, that's edible. Yeah. Uh, and, and going to places like Hana, you can actually find some of that, and I, I, I think it's, you know, I think it's fascinating. Now, the limu, that limu um, fair that they've had in Hana, that's been mm-hmm. going on for quite a while, right? Yes, it really has, yep. So that was wonderful. And actually, um, as you might remember, this is the year of the Limu. Mm-hmm. So um, our Voice of the Sea episode is um, in honor of the year of the Limu. And also, we just reprinted a book um, called The Limu Eater. And it, um, as you mentioned, Limu is absolutely delicious. And this was a book that was printed in 1978 first and then reprinted just a couple months ago. Now you know the exhibit that you uh, you have over at the Arts at Mark's Garage. Yeah. I'm I'm glad you said that it was the first time because I don't yeah. recall ever seeing a an art exhibit put on by Hawaii Sea Grant. We so this never is a- have. Nope, this is the first one, and it's really special. So um, we had three artists that connected with scientists, mm-hmm. and then their artwork is a reflection and of a creative powerful reflection of, you know, the science and how they interpreted it. And so one of them actually is um, our relationship with Limu. That's great. Yeah. And, and I hope this isn't, isn't like the, the first and last. And I hope you don't I wait do for the do. next. <laughs> I hope you don't wait for like the, the hundredth anniversary to do your next uh, art exhibit. That's right. That's right. I don't think we'll wait that long. It's really, we've had a really successful month so far. So I would imagine that we'll, we'll look into this more frequently. And has uh, Sea Grant al- always been kind of looking at the intersection between science, science uh, and, and education and art? I mean, this is a great kind of like uh, intersection of those three uh, disciplines. We really have, um, because as you know, you know, we're located here on the University of Hawaii at Manoa campus. So the graduate research and the connection to education is incredibly important to us. And, of course, you know, our main connections are, um, you know, taking the science that happens here at the university and making it important and relevant to our community members. And um, so, yes, all of this is wrapped up into the, um, the resiliency um, by art exhibit. So, so, Cindy, where can people find out more about it and, and uh, you know, get down over there to uh, Arts at Mark's Garage before, before this closes out? Sure. So they can go on our website, which is hawaiiseagrant.org. Um, they can go on any of our social media channels. We have um, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And then also if they missed one of the um, graduate student talks, we're putting all of them up on our YouTube channel, which is just Hawaii Sea Grant. Very good. So, mahalo, Cindy. I'll put that up on our show notes. And, uh, of course, uh, you know, Cindy is with the uh, Sea Grant College over at the university. And, and, of course, we'll take a short break. And when we return, we'll be joined by Steph Spears, co-founder of Solstice Power. Mahalo, Cindy. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors Native Books and PCAT, Pacific Center for Advanced Technology Training. Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe on Hawaii Public Radio. And of course, I'm happy to welcome Cindy Spears. She's the co-founder of Sosis Power Technologies, and <clears throat> she is... Um, Joining us to tell us a little bit about her, her company and a recent uh, acquisition by a, a larger international company called MyPower. And I want to welcome Steph to Bite Marks Cafe. Aloha. 
thank you so much, Bert. Oh, thanks, Steph. Good to good to hear you. And uh, Steph, you know you're, um, <clears throat> you know, I, I I would love to get into your life history because, uh, you know, I think uh, you and I have some 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 similar roots. Uh, but your, you know, I thought, wow, Steph grad from Iolani, so she must be great in and of that, you know, event. <laughs> but looking at your 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 kind of CV, I mean. A lot of great things happened after you graduated. Maybe tell us a little bit about, you know, some of the sort of international experience that you've had, you know, once graduating from Yulani. Yeah, well, I went to college on the mainland. Uh, I was the black sheep in my family to, to um, stay on the mainland. And, and then I joined the Obama campaign after college. I was a community organizer, went from state to state canvassing door-to-door for 12 hours a day, trying to get the uh, locals excited about Barack Obama. And this was back in 2007, before we knew he would win. Uh, and then and then he won, miraculously. And, and the campaign taught me that, you know, people, if you get enough people to care about the same issue, you really can change things. And that was a good lesson to learn as I went to government and worked in government for a few years. I was actually working in national security and uh, on the Middle East during the the Arab Spring years, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and so I was at the White House uh, traveling, and my portfolio was in Yemen, and we'd be traveling to Yemen, and we would be in these armored vehicles and looking out the window and see people lined up waiting for fuel, like they couldn't get enough fuel to power their daily lives because terrorists were blowing up oil pipelines, and so that made me think we're in the Middle East. It's super sunny. There's not renewable energy out here. I don't know anything about energy. We don't talk about energy in these policy meetings. And so I left government to go to grad school to learn about renewable energy. And then after that, I initially thought I wanted to go back international, lived in uh, India and Pakistan working on solar companies. And then I had another come-to-Jesus moment where I looked around and I was like, why am I halfway across the world? working on energy access when back home in America, so few people have access to clean energy. And the people who have the least access are the ones who are low income, who are the most affected by climate change, who through no fault of their own can't afford this premium product of solar. And so that's what led my co-founders and I to start Solstice back home in America. Now with with your co-founder, did you both kind of like meet when you were in grad school? I mean, how did that meeting and, and collaboration take place? Yeah, I have a couple of co-founders. I, I met them both in grad school, and and we, um, you know, it's a miracle. My, my, my co-founder, who's still the COO of the company, she used to be an investment banker, earned a big salary, and she said, I, wanted, I want to build this company with you, and initially didn't work for any salary, both of us, for a couple of years, and then slowly built that up over time. So to have built this organization with her for the last eight years has been a real, real um, treat. And so much about work is finding people you just like spending time with and you trust. Now, when you started the company, and you said you started the company eight years ago, uh, where where are you based? Are you based in, I know you're based on the East Coast, but uh, where, where did you pick to actually start your company? Well, I was in 
grad school in Massachusetts at the time mm-hmm. and in Boston. And so that's when we started our first projects in Massachusetts. And then since then, we've actually worked, we have projects in New York, Massachusetts, Illinois, Minnesota, and we're expanding to Virginia, New Jersey, and New Mexico in the next year. And, and so do you, have a, do you have a physical location where Solstice resides? Yeah, you know, it actually, we used to have an office in Boston, and then during COVID, we closed our office, and we're a remote-first company. Oh. So our, our team is spread all across the United States and actually all across the world. And I, I spend a, a few months a year in Hawaii because uh, we're a remote-first company, and my whole family is here, and so wanted to be closer to them. Oh, that's great! And and so, how did you how did you get connected with uh, Elemental? Because I know you're you're part of their portfolio companies, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we were part of their um, cohort in. in do, do you know much about Elemental? Should I? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can you? you can refresh our memory, but uh, I I usually have Elemental on. They're they're one of my regular regular recurring guests as well. Okay, great. So, you know, Elemental is an investor in climate tech companies, yes. and yep. we were part of their portfolio of companies. So we got some financial support, but they also do more than financial support. They, they help connect you to their portfolio companies and and so much um, about surviving the entrepreneurship journey mm-hmm. is about feeling fellowship with other people who are going through similar challenges and Elemental's network of entrepreneurs really helped in that sense. And and were you uh, introduced to Elemental in some way, you know, as you were working on your startup or how did that connection, because they're, you know, they were primarily based in Hawaii and then they have offices on, on the West Coast. <clears throat> maybe they've, yeah. maybe, maybe um, Don has expanded to the East Coast, but how did that, how did that connection I talk about Don Lippert from uh, you know Elemental. How did mm-hmm. how did the actual you know sort of person to person connection get established between you and Elemental? Yeah, Don's great. We actually uh, you know this is it's probably a good story of entrepreneurship. We we applied three times before we got Elemental. So really, it's like applying through the mass process. Yeah, yeah. Almost every one of my funding experiences, there was massive failure before there was success. <laughs> um, and. And actually, the way we got in shows you just, like, what a stroke of luck sometimes you can get is Elemental is partnered with Emerson Collective. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I was a grad student and I got the opportunity to pitch Emerson Collective, and in a two-minute pitch uh, to, to the leaders there, and they said, we really love your work. We're interested in funding you. Back then, we started as a nonprofit. I should mention we we initially started as a nonprofit. We later spun out a software company, and and so back when we were a nonprofit, Emerson um, said, "Hey, we're interested in your work." And then we got connected to Elemental from there. So, just goes to show that network, that community building, is really what helps our organization. Oh yeah, and you know it's the uh, <clears throat> endeavoring to persevere as well to keep keep on trying. And, and Emerson Collective aren't they uh, affiliated with? Um, is that the wife of Steve Jobs? Oh yeah. So you know what? I, her name is Lorene Powell Jobs, and you're right. She was the um, widow of Steve Jobs, and and Emerson Collective is basically her philanthropy. And mm-hmm, what I really mm-hmm. appreciate about Lorene is that she doesn't like her name attached to things. 
So uh, unlike other billionaires in the right. world that put their name on everything, uh-huh. she doesn't put her name on things, and she prefers her um, her contributions to be anonymous. And I think that's that's a lovely way to go about giving away your wealth. Well, you know, I, and again, I have to hand it to uh, Don and Elemental for making really strong connections, you know, with organizations like uh, like Emerson. And so that you know that's that's great to hear that, you know, you've. Um, Kind of made that connection, and I'm sure I'm sure the folks over at Elemental are happy that uh, this this acquisition take, took place. But now you know we've been talking about you. We've been talking a little bit about about Solstice, but we haven't really you haven't really told us what is what does Solstice actually do? Yeah, yeah, totally. We should talk about that. Um, you know, from the beginning, we, from day one, we've been on a mission to bring clean energy to every community and every member in every community regardless of their income or any other marker of privilege. And so it's why we started this work as initially as a nonprofit. And then when we saw the need for better software in our industry, we spun out a company to build software that made it easier for people to sign up for this type of solar called Community Solar. Have you uh, t- learned about Community Solar on the show yet, Bert? No, you know, that, in fact, uh, that I'm, I'm interested in, in what does uh, Community Solar mean. Now, uh, me, uh, in full disclosure, I do a lot of broadband work, and, you know, we do things like community networks where if we can provide a community the ability to, to share a fiber connection, you know, they can they can basically have internet access, uh, uh, which is a different model from, you know, running fiber to your home. It's like a running fiber to the community, and, and they can then, you know, distribute that and share that cost. So is community solar something similar? Yeah, it's this idea that you don't have to put solar on your own rooftop if uh, you can't because four out of five Americans cannot put solar on their own home for mm-hmm, a variety of reasons. Mm-hmm. Maybe their roof faces the wrong way or it's made out of the wrong materials or there's a tree covering their roof or they're a renter or a condo owner. They don't have control over their roof or they can't afford to put solar on their roof because it costs ten to $40,000 up front. And if you don't have that money, you can get a solar financing loan, but you have to have a FICO credit score of 680 and above, which half the country doesn't have that credit score. So there's just a ton of reasons why most people are locked out of the rooftop solar market. And the idea is that you can subscribe to a portion of a shared solar farm instead of putting solar on your home. So the farm is built somewhere in your community and you're subscribing to a portion of it like it's on your roof, but you don't have to pay an upfront cost. And the way community solar works in most places in the country is it's actually a guaranteed discount which is revolutionary because most solar is a premium product and most solar is only bought by affluent high-income homeowners. So community solar offers an opportunity for ordinary people, renters, to finally take part in solar and get a guaranteed discount without putting anything on their roof. Um, And so the idea is that clean energy is a human right, and it should and it can be made available to everyone and that happens when a community kind of buys in together um, and, and makes a project happen that wouldn't have happened without their participation, one neighborhood at a time. And so, you know, we partner with community organizations like nonprofits, like employers, like municipalities, and we connect them to these community solar farms 
Um, and then on the other side of the market, we partner with the solar developers that build the farms, but they have no interest in talking to customers. Mm-hmm, they're mm-hmm. really just the developer of the farm. And so we're bringing the two sides of the solar marketplace together. We're connecting people who need energy savings to shared solar projects, and we're connecting the people who build shared solar projects to communities. And we have software that manages the customer experience for the life of the 20-year project. Well, you know, Steph, uh, you are sounding a lot like me when I go out there and evangelize about the uh, digital equity. I mean, you're, it sounds like community solar is, is really a very similar kind of enabling technology that uh, has solutions for you know, all segments of the, of the population. I, I do want to talk to you more about it because uh, this is a, a very exciting topic, and I want to see if you know, there's a connection that uh, Solstice can, can uh, make happen in Hawaii. But we want to hold that thought. We'll be right back at this short uh, break to continue our conversation with Steph Spears, co-founder of, of Solstice Power Technologies. And, of course, she's telling us about her company and soon will tell us a little bit about the acquisition by a company called MyPower. This is Bite Marks Cafe. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, whose contributors help Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor Anchor Systems Hawaii. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe on HPR One. I'm Bert Lum. If you're just joining us, we're talking to Steph Spears. She's the co-founder of Sosis Power Technologies, and she's telling us about her company, and uh, we'll get into the acquisition, but... You know, right before the break, uh, uh, Steph, you were telling us about uh, the whole idea behind community solar, and I think that's a great idea. Uh, are there are there these community solar farms like here in Hawaii, and do you see Solstice uh, coming? You know, uh, being being kind of like uh, more present in Hawaii. Yeah, I, I, I hope so. You know, there's. In 2015, the state of Hawaii passed a law allowing for community solar, and yet there's only been a couple of tiny, small projects built in the whole state. Um, and it's because the first iteration of the program didn't exactly have a lot of adoption by the developers, the people who are building the solar projects, because they thought the rate for the electricity that the utility set was too low. So they're actually in the midst of trying to do 2.0, trying again to, to implement community solar, and we're hopeful that getting stakeholder input, the utility can implement rates that work for all members of the energy community, and more people can get access to solar. So we're not quite there yet in Hawaii, but optimistic that we can get there, um, because Hawaii leads on so many things in energy. And like you were saying before the break, that that digital divide that you know mm-hmm. you talk about right. evangelizing is the same divide that exists in who gets access to clean energy. Um, I grew up in Hawaii, born and raised, single mom who raised three kids, worked multiple jobs on minimum wage, and the four of us shared a one-bedroom apartment in Makiki, and and she taught us that. You know, uh, wealth was not the money in your pocket. It was the knowledge in your head. And just because we had a bad credit score doesn't mean we're bad people. And, and you know, everything I have in my life is because my mom sacrificed for us. But wow. the, the world mistook her for being a low-income person when, in my mind, she was this regal, strong queen of a woman that I was so lucky to, to grow up with. And so seeing the world treat my mom badly as a laborer 
And knowing how amazing she was as a human and as a mom made me realize that hierarchy that exists in our society is delusional. You know, that, mm-hmm, that talent mm-hmm. is universal, but opportunity is not. And you do this work, so you understand that, too. And and to live in Hawaii is also to, to witness, um, you know, inequality, especially for Native Hawaiians. And, and so... Um, a lot of those values growing up in Hawaii is the reason why Solstice has this mission about making solar accessible for the people who usually are excluded. Well, I'm I'm so happy to have had you on the show. I mean, I would love to see you come back, and then maybe we could set you up over at the, you know, the the sandbox uh, at the Entrepreneur Sandbox, and you can give a a a, a pep talk <laughs> about what you're doing. This is great. Now, now you were saying that there were a couple of things that need to happen with our, uh, perhaps, law. I mean, what, what, what policy would you recommend we try to uh, adopt? Well, you know, I, I think that uh, local solar developers should go for the incentives that are in the Inflation Reduction Act mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that allow it developers to get extra incentives for building projects solar projects that serve low-income customers. So basically, they get to have a lot more tax incentives if they build a project that the benefits go to low-income customers, and local developers should take advantage of that. And and the local state, you know, I know funds are always scarce, but putting funds towards placing projects that benefit low-income customers in Hawaii should be, I think, a prioritized use of funds in Hawaii, because if we don't prioritize grant funding that way, then it doesn't happen. And so incentives for developers to build more projects, but also grants that go directly to communities so that they can get educated about clean energy and learn how to sign up and sign up themselves and put projects in their own neighborhood are all really important. So, so Steph, besides, uh, I mean, I would love to see you come back and help evangelize uh, this, this exact mission and vision that you're describing. But in, in lieu of you coming back to do that, uh, who's who's going to be here to do that kind of evangelizing? Uh, you know, like there's uh, the folks at Elemental actually really prioritize equity, uh, and I give them a lot of credit for involving the organization towards talking about equity and access and pushing their portfolio companies to do that. So they they play a good role there. Uh, there's a lot of really amazing environmental justice advocates in Hawaii who are working with communities on the ground on, uh, you know, pollution and things like that, that that advocate for justice. So it takes a village, you know? It's yeah. an all-hands-on-deck problem to solve climate change, and it's an all-hands-on-deck problem to solve inequality, and those are the two challenges of our lifetime. Like, we're going to be judged by our kids and grandkids based on how well we do in solving those two issues, climate change and social inequality. Well, you know, Steph, uh, we're down to probably the last 30 seconds, and we didn't even get to talk about your acquisition. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to have to have you come back on. Uh, But in a nutshell, I mean, what, my power from Mitsui, what they they love what you are doing and are, you know, they're going to be, you're going to stay on as as, uh, being a part of that company, right? The, The larger. Yeah. I, I get to stay. Still, stay, they still want me to be CEO. We're really proud to be a part of a highly respected company. Mitsui is one of the you know conglomerates of J- Japan that's responsible for the growth of the Japanese economy, mm-hmm. and they're really prioritizing clean energy and sustainable infrastructure. So, 
joining up with them allows us to move even faster in democratizing the transition to clean energy and averting climate change damage. So we can leverage the strength and stability in Mitsui and their affiliate in, in the U.S. called MyPower, deepen our resources, expand to new markets, develop new services. And well, Steph, we're really excited about the future. Yeah, Steph, I'm going to uh, definitely reconnect with you and, and uh, see if I can get you back over here to, to kind of share your story. Steph Spears is the co-founder of Solstice Power Technologies, and our company recently acquired by MyPower, an affiliate of Mitsui and Company. Mahalo, Steph, for joining us. Mahalo, Bert. And of course, thank you for listening to Bite Mars Cafe. Join us next week when we will talk about the Sea Grant uh, Resiliency Program. And of course, uh, if you miss any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarscafe.org. Our engineer is David Chong. You can catch us on HPR One every Wednesday via the HPR app or on your favorite podcast application. You stay safe, you stay awesome. We'll see you next week on another edition of Bite Mars Cafe. Stay tuned, reveal is next. Oh,